As I mentioned, we normally preach through books of the Bible here, verse by verse. We're in Matthew's Gospel, but we take a break from that in November to address specific uh, topics. And our topic today is uh, uh, ethnic peace and unity. Ethnic peace and unity, sometimes called racial reconciliation or ethnic harmony. And we're going to think about that today from God's Word. Colossians 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Father, we ask that you would be with us this morning as we think about this that is so often spoken of on news stations. Father, I fear that many of us think more about what news stations say about cultural issues and topics than what Your Word says. I I fear that we lack discernment and that we just voice what Fox News or CNN says. Father, we ask that that would not be. We pray that we would uh, be filled more with Your Word than uh, TV and culture. And we ask You would make us a discerning people who know the mind of Christ. God, we thank You that we have the mind of Christ if we're believers. And we ask, Lord, that You would be our teacher this morning, that we would hear from You, that we would be instructed by Your Word and truth, and that You would help us grow in love for one another. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. May we all be held captive... By Jesus Christ. There there is only one kind of supremacy that we preach at this church. And it is Christ supremacy. Not white supremacy. Not black supremacy. But Christ supremacy. Jesus forever. Jesus forever. One man said, true peace will be found nowhere but in Christ. True peace will be found nowhere but in Jesus Christ. And that's the only hope of the world to have peace, is this gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I wonder here this morning if all of you know that gospel message. What what is that basic gospel message that alone brings peace? Peace is only found in Christ. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And He came into a world with with war going on. As soon as He was born, they were trying to kill Him. But we desperately need Him because we are sinners. Friend, do you know this morning that you are a sinner? Do you know this morning, if you're, if you're here and you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm speaking to unbelievers who may be here with us, maybe joining us online. Do you know yourself to be a sinner? And, and, and for you believers here, God wants you to hear this too. I mean, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, Paul wants to remind the Ephesians what they were. So, so some people struggle when I talk, talk, start talking about sinners when Paul, the apostle inspired by the Holy Ghost, in Ephesians 2 says, this is what you were. Paul didn't have a problem reminding them what they were. It's good to remember what you were and what you've been saved from. That's a good thing. That's a biblical thing. That's a God thing. That's a Holy Spirit thing, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And so believers here, remember what you were. And unbelievers, you are this. You're dead in sin. You're dead in trespasses and sins. Children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's that's how the Bible describes us all. We we have all primarily had self-supremacy. That's our problem. We have self-supremacy. And so if I'm white, that means white supremacy. Because self, I want me, myself, and I. And it's true for you. Your biggest problem is self-supremacy. 
You love yourself. You love yourself so much. (laughs) People say, oh, I hate myself. No, you don't. When you say I hate myself, it means you love yourself too much. Because you're so focused on yourself. That's our problem. We love self. And we get so upset when we're not like we want to be. And so we say we hate ourselves and really we just love ourselves too much. That's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we're self-supremacists. All of us. And we pursue our own pleasures and sins, sexual morality and lust and pornography and lying and stealing and cheating and anger and hatred and bitterness and lying and love of money and love of praise. We're sinners. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The good news is we can be saved from this sin. The good news is we don't have to go to hell. We all deserve hell. (laughs) We deserve hell. All of us. But God has done something so we don't have to go there. So that we don't have to burn in torment forever and ever and ever and ever. We, We can be delivered from God's wrath and judgment because Jesus came. Jesus, the God man, truly God and truly man, lived a perfectly obedient life, never sinned, loved like no one ever loved, told a Syrophoenician woman, I've never found faith like this. Great is your faith, O woman. Did miracles, raised the dead, made blind people see. And then he took upon himself our sins. He didn't die for his sins because he had none. He died for our sins. He took upon himself the wrath and curse and judgment of God. He was buried. And unlike Buddha, and unlike Muhammad, and unlike Confucius and all these other dead people, people follow, Jesus rose from the dead. (laughs) Jesus got up from the tomb. He's alive. You need a living Savior. Any Muslims here today? You need a living Savior, not a dead prophet. He can't save you. You're going to end up dead like Him. You need a risen Savior. Jesus conquered sin, death, and hell and rose up from the grave. And so if you turn from your sins and believe in Him, if you repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says you shall be saved. And then He'll change your life. If you truly believe in Him by faith alone, He's going to change your life. He's going to give you love for your enemies. He's going to give you love for people you once hated. You can't stay the same if you meet Jesus. I've seen Christians say that Jesus and the gospel are not enough to end racism. And sometimes they'll show this little picture meme of of the, the Ku Klux Klan people in a church with the sign, Jesus saves in the back. Anybody seen that? And then, and, then, and then they say, see, they had Jesus, they had the gospel, and they're still in the KKK as racist as ever. And so your Jesus and gospel is not enough. They just don't know Him. <laughs> they don't know what they're talking about. If you know Jesus and you be, truly believe, if you truly know Jesus and He truly knows you, and you truly believe in Him, in the true gospel then you cannot hate others. You may be a nominal Christian. There are people that fill churches today. I often tell you, I did it for 18 years. I went to a church every Sunday. And I was headed for hell as I sang Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. I mean, Jesus warns us, beloved, many people on that day will come to Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, I did miracles in your name and cast out demons in your name and did many mighty works in your name. And Jesus will say, I never knew you. Many people go to church. Many people claim Jesus is Lord. Many people profess to know Christ. You may profess that Jesus saves and not be saved by Him. But if Jesus really saved you, you will love others. You will. The first... And greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You must love your neighbor as yourself if you know Jesus. You will love your neighbor as yourself if you know Jesus. 1 John 4, 20-21 says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. 
For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So why, why preach about ethnic peace and unity? We do this once a year. <laughs> One very simple uh, answer is, is because my mentor did it. One of my mentors did it. John Piper did that. And he's uh, one of the most influential teachers in my life. And so I do it. I follow him as he follows Christ. That's one simple answer. I do it because he does it. But we got to have a better answer than that. (laughs) Why preach about ethnic peace and unity? I have three points on that. Because of the past, because of the present, and because of the Bible. Why, why preach on ethnic peace and unity? Because of the past. Because of things like the genocides of the 20th century. I mean, have you ever thought about this? That, that racism has led... I mean, if, if you, if you can correct me later, but you let me know. Is there any other sin that has led to more millions of people being slaughtered to death? Well, I can think of one. Unborn children being slaughtered. But we talk about that once a year too. What, what, what sin has led to millions of people being slaughtered? Ethnic hatred. Ethnic hatred. The genocides of the 20th century. The Germans killing 6 million Jews during World War II. Turks killing Armenians from 1914 to 15. 1.5 million slaughtered. The Khmer Rouge killing Cambodians from 1975 to 1979. Two million killed. Saddam Hussein's troops killing Iraqi Kurds in 87 and 88. 100,000 dead. Serbs killing Bosnian Muslims from 92 to 95. 200,000 killed. Hutus killing Tutsis in Rwanda in 1994. 800,000 slaughtered because of racism and racial hatred. The history of the United States is another reason. Because of the past. Slavery. In this country. Dr. Henry Louis Gates Jr., Harvard University professor, writes between 1525 and 1866 in the entire history of the slave trade in the New World, according to the Transatlantic Slave Trade Database, 12.5 million Africans, 12.5 million image bearers of God were shipped to the New World. Guess how many survived? 10.7 million. Almost 2 million died just getting there in those nasty, putrid, smelly ships where human beings were tortured and treated like animals who were made in God's image. God's angry. God's angry about that. 10.7 million survived. 388,000 were shipped to North America. Most of the slaves were sent to Brazil and the Caribbean. And you had men and women and children treated like animals and brutally beaten, separated from families. It helps to watch movies like that. You watch 12 Years a Slave and see a mother and her children parted forever. It's evil. Why talk about this? Because of that. Because of the past. Because of segregation and the many racist laws and evil treatment of African Americans. One example, Ruby Bridges. She was the first African American to go to an all-white school in the South on November 14, 1960. She was only six years old. White people who opposed desegregation stood outside the school and yelled wicked, evil names at her. Threatened to poison her. Can you imagine doing that to a six-year-old girl? Threatened to poison her and hang her to death. Even put a black doll in a cardboard coffin to intimidate her. Ruby, Ruby is our example here. She responded by praying for them because she said they needed to be prayed for. (laughs) That's an understatement. (laughs) She said, I pray for my enemies that God would forgive them. Jesus prayed that on the cross. Forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And beloved, you reap what you sow. (laughs) The Bible teaches that you reap what you sow. So the the country in which we live has sown that kind of evil. You you don't think that, that, that there's a reason there's so much unrest today? You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. 
You believe that in the Bible? Galatians 6, 7-8, through Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the re- flesh reap corruption. From the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And so you have to have your head in the sand if you don't look out today in this world and see racial hatred still happening because of what happened in the past. Why preach about ethnic peace and unity? Because of the present. Because of the present. Racist people still exist. Is that news to you? I mean, you know this. You know this from personal experience. You've told me. Dylan Roof. On June 17th, 2015, Roof walked into a Bible study at Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina, and shot and killed nine of the twelve people present, including the pastor, fueled by racial hatred. This one hits more to home because this person was in a reformed church like ours, in a small reformed church like ours that has their doctrine right and preaches the right things. John T. Ernest attacked Jews at a synagogue in Poway, California, and he went to a church that pastored by a professor I had in seminary in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. I'm going to read to you the statement of the OPC in, in response to what this person did who was a member of their church. On April 27, 2019, in an act of vicious and deplorable hatred and violence, a gunman entered a synagogue in Southern California and proceeded to open fire on the gathered worshipers, killing one and wounding three others before he was driven from the building. Sadly, the 19-year-old shooter, John Ernest, was a member of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. Pastor Zachary R. R. Keel and the session of our 100-member Escondido Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California, issued the following statement concerning that horrific event. The atrocious crime of violence and hatred that took place at Shabbat of Poway Synagogue on Saturday, April 27th, grieves us deeply and shatters our hearts. As a congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, we devote our lives to the love and mercy of the Lord to all of God's beautiful children from every nation, language, and tribe. Our most sincere prayers, condolences, and cares go out to the victims, their loved ones, and the congregation of Chabad. We deplore and resist all forms of anti-Semitism and racism. We are wounded to the core that such an evil could have gone out from our community. Such hatred has no place in any part of our beliefs or practices, for we seek to shape our whole lives according to the love and gospel of Jesus Christ. We join the session and congregation of Escondido OPC to express the sincere sympathies and grief of all Orthodox Presbyterians to the people of Chabad of Poway in their great loss and heartache. And along with our Escondido congregation, we condemn in strongest terms the sentiments of anti-Semitism and racist hatred which apparently motivated the shooter. Such beliefs are contrary to the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ and have no place within our system of doctrine or in the teachings and practices of our church. We believe that God created man, male and female, in His own image, in knowledge, righteousness and holiness, and in love we offer the gospel of grace of God and Jesus Christ to every human being. May God grant comfort to all who have been affected by this tragic and deplorable act and may He help all of us as His image bearers to love our neighbor as ourselves. For the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the Reverend John D. Van Meerbeek and the Reverend Ross Graham. He was a member of a Reformed church that preaches the right thing. And that happened. And he had hatred for Jewish people to the point where he killed some while they were in their synagogue. That's why we talk about this once a year, at least. We talk about this in the present because the U.S. has seen a rise in crimes and racism against Asians. Some believe it's COVID-related. You know, the virus came from there, and so we're going to get mad at Asians because it's their fault. Very smart people. The 2020 FBI hate crime statistics, anti-black or African-American hate crimes continue to be the largest bias incident victim category with 2,871 incidents in 2020, a 49% increase since 2019. 
Additionally, there were 279 anti-Asian incidents reported in 2020, a 77% increase since 2019. People are still racist, beloved. I mean, you have Hebrew Israelites and Nation of, uh, Nation of Islam Muslims who, who call whites the white devil. I don't, I don't know how many times I've been called the white devil preaching at Brawl and Alney. I just say, praise God, he saves white devils. <laughs> so we preach about ethnic unity and peace because of the present for those reasons. Also, for these reasons, so-called anti-racist philosophies are being taught, celebrated, and defended in our culture today that are dangerous and not based on God's Word or on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why I chose Colossians 2.8 because we don't want to uh, combat racism with vain, godless, unbiblical, Christless philosophies. But we want to battle racism with Christ in the Bible. But, but theories like critical race theory have infiltrated some churches and split them. Neil Shinvey is one I would recommend to you if you want to know more about critical race theory. He writes, critical race theory, CRT, is an academic discipline that attempts to understand race and racism primarily through the lens of power. In responding to CRT, Christians can fall into two opposite errors, alarmism and denialism. CRT and alarmism equates any discussion of race with CRT and refuses to recognize that CRT offers any true insights. In contrast, CRT denialism refuses to recognize that CRT includes ideas that are false and dangerous or that CRT is growing in influence within evangelicalism. Assessing CRT requires us to steer a middle course which recognizes that CRT can provide real insights into the nature of racism while also recognizing that many of its ideas, if followed to their logical conclusions, will have devastating consequences on the life and health of the church. Kevin DeYoung, Pastor Kevin DeYoung, Dr. Kevin DeYoung, he's a professor at RTS Charlotte, pastor of uh, a church, faithful man. He's also written a lot on this that's helpful. He says the anthropology, which is a big word that means it's understanding of human nature, uh, the, the anthropology of CRT doesn't go nearly far enough. If Reformed theology reminds us that the powerful often oppress the weak, it also reminds us that all of us have a natural tendency to hate God and our neighbors. What CRT locates in certain races, sexes, classes, and sexual orientations, the Reformed tradition locates in every human heart. I would say the Bible locates in every human heart. You see, beloved, many people don't even know what racism is. A lot of people think that if something bad or unfair happens between two people or groups of people where one of the people or groups is of a different ethnicity than the other person, then it must be racism. Oh, something bad happened between him and him, and he's white and he's black. Must be racism. They just see the two different colors and say, oh, must be racism. What is racism according to the Bible? It's partiality. We, we, we thought about this last year. I preached on James chapter 2. What is racism? It's partiality. James 2.1, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Webster's 1828 Dictionary defines partiality this way, inclination to favor one party or one side of a question more than the other, an undue bias of mind towards one party or side, which is apt to warp the judgment. Partiality springs from the will and affections rather than from love of truth and justice. It's being biased, showing favoritism, being prejudiced, treating one person better than the other, discrimination. Racism is a form of partiality. One pastor said partiality means that you base your treatment of someone or your attitude towards someone on something that should not be the basis of how you treat them. Douglas Moo, speaking about the passage in James, defines partiality that, this way. The Greek word for partiality, partiality literally means receiving face. The word was apparently invented by New Testament writers as a literal rendering of a Hebrew word for partiality. To receive the face means to make judgments about people based on external appearance. James applies this principle to difference in dress and that reflect contrasting social and economic situations, but the Greek word here is plural. Acts of favoritism. 
acts of partiality. And this makes clear that the prohibition has wide-ranging application. We are not to make decisions about people based on any external factor, whether it be dress, color of skin, or general physical appearance. The Old Testament repeatedly stresses that God Himself is impartial, looking at the heart rather than the outside of a person. And God's people are to imitate Him in this respect. 1 Samuel 16, 7, For the Lord sees, not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And beloved, you need to know this. Any ethnicity can be guilty of partiality. This is one of the false tenets of these vain philosophies like CRT that only certain people can be racist. That is an evil wrong. You need to know how evil that is. I hope none of you ever say that. Because it, it, it is very close to attacking the very gospel itself. Because when you, when, you, when you wiggle with the doctrine of sin, when you change the doctrine of sin and say, well, the, these people can't be sinful this way, and well, this isn't a sin, then you set people up to go to hell. Because then they won't repent of sin and trust in Jesus. Any ethnicity can be guilty of the sin of partiality, the sin of racism. It is wrong to say certain ethnicities cannot be racist. This is a big deal. If you get sin wrong, you begin to attack the gospel that saves from sin. Another reason we talk about this, and preach about this in the present, is because sinners can use racism as an excuse for their own sin. Sinners can use racism as an excuse for their own sin. Sinners will find anything they can to blame their own sin and shortcomings on others. I mean, we've been doing it since the beginning. Remember Adam and Eve? <laughs> remember, remember when Adam and Eve sinned against God? And God comes to them in Genesis 3, 11 through 13 and God says, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave me to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Beloved, that ain't going to fly on the day of judgment. I mean, whoo, people make some excuses, don't they? God doesn't have it. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Let's just blame everybody else. We, we've been doing that since the beginning. We love to blame our shortcomings and sins on other people and things. Tara Morgan, many of you know Tara, African-American lady, former member here at our church who moved to Florida. She told me about some African-Americans she worked with who claimed the boss was being racist toward them, but she was thinking, listen, I know you. I work with you. I see your work ethic. Racism ain't the problem. Your work ethic's the problem. She told me about a class she took once. And a lot of the other African-American students were saying their Asian teacher was racist because these African-American students noticed that they all got lower grades than the others. But Tara spoke up and showed them that she didn't get a lower grade. She actually did really well. So they said, you know, what was their response? Well, your name's Tara, so they don't know you're black from your name. <laughs> She's like, it's a small class. He knows who I am. I was once in a pastoral situation with a person of a different ethnicity than myself in which I was holding this person accountable to live their lives according to the truths of God's Word. And this person actually made the accusation toward me that if they were a white person like me, then I would not be holding them accountable like I was. Sorry, beloved, I'm going with Jesus. No matter what they call me, no matter what they, the slurs and slander they use, I'm going with Jesus. But that happened in my life. And thankfully, that person who did that, they quickly realized their error. And they quickly backpedaled and apologized right there in the same meeting. But beloved, you need to know that. Sinners will use racism to justify their own sin. And finally, for why we preach on this in the present, Satan is deceptive and comes as an angel of light. 
Wolves come in sheep's clothing. Have you heard of the organization Black Lives Matter? You've heard that? That statement's a true statement. Black lives do matter. That is a true statement if you're a Christian. If you fear God and believe the Bible, that's a true statement. Because God made black people in His image. But beloved, do you know what the organization is about? Black Lives Matter? Like, do you know what that organization stands for? It stands for vain and godless and wicked philosophies that are against everything you believe as a Christian. Do you know that? Do you know that? Many, many people just are deceived because Satan comes as an angel of light. They have that, that good thing, right? There's that good thing. Black lives do matter because they're made in God's image. But then you smuggle in all this wickedness. Railing against the nuclear family. One husband and one wife in a family. That's how God intended it. Now many godly families don't have that because of sin. But God's intention is for there to be one man and one woman in a family, and this organization is against that, against the nuclear family. And pro-sexual immorality, and homosexuality, and trans everything. They're for those things that are wicked and that Christ hates. Do you know that? You need to know that. Their website, which was changed in 20, September 2020, says we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement. We foster a queer affirming network. And so I'm going to preach on this every year. Because new stuff comes out every year that's wicked and evil and Christless. But the main reason I preach on this is the Bible. Why preach about ethnicity? Why, why preach about ethnic unity and love and harmony? Because the Bible. This is the thesis statement. God has chosen to make the diversity of ethnicities coming together in peace and unity through the gospel of Jesus Christ a prominent theme in redemptive history. God has chosen to make the diversity of ethnicities coming together in peace and unity through the gospel of Jesus Christ a prominent theme in redemptive history. It is a prominent theme when the gospel was first preached to Abraham. This theme of ethnicity and unity and peace and love was a prominent theme when the gospel was first preached to Abraham. Galatians 3.8 and the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the Gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Not just the United States. Not, not just China. Not just uh, uh, Kenya or, or, or Nigeria. All the nations shall be blessed. And, and, he, and, and this, the, the, the Bible says this is the preaching of the Gospel. This was the gospel preached to Abraham. In you all the nations shall be blessed. It's a prominent theme in the Old Testament. In anticipation of Jesus Christ coming to save sinners. Psalm 22, 27 and 28. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord and He rules over the nations. Christianity is just not, not a white western religion. <laughs> it, it, it is universal. Everyone, Chinese, Iran, I mean, the, the church in China and Iran is exploding. Jesus aims to have every soul from every nation be his. He's not a little tribal deity for Western white Americans. I hear that all the time on the streets in, in, in Philly. It's a white man's religion. Oh. <laughs> Some of the greatest people we admire are North African Christians. I mean, you, you could argue the, the whole structure of uh, theology which the Reformation was built was from a North African Christian, St. Augustine. The Phil Ethiopian eunuch, baptized right there in Acts chapter 8. Most of the people in the Bible are, are not my tone of melanin. I mean, maybe none of them. So that's just ridiculous when people say that. 
No, God is after the nations. He's after all peoples. Psalm 67, 1 through 7. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Selah, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Selah, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Isaiah 56, 6 and 7. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord and to be His servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant there I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. This is God's plan. It is a prominent theme in Jesus' last words before He ascended into heaven. I mean, you, we really think about people's last words. We, we attribute special importance to them. What is His last words? What are the last things that He said? And this is on Jesus' heart in His last words to us in the Gospel of Matthew, which is the very mission of this church. Matthew 28, 18-20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. All nations. All nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's a prominent theme when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church at Pentecost. This is a major event in redemptive history. And it's a major theme. All nations. It's actually the reversal of Babel. You do know when Abraham first had the gospel preached to him in Genesis 12, that was right after the Tower of Babel. Right after the nations were cursed and scattered, God says, I'm going to bless all the nations through you. And, and Pentecost is, is the beginning of that bringing the nations back together. Acts 2, 5-11. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Every nation under heaven. Every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own language the mighty works of God. God is all about this. Kevin DeYoung comments on this. Separating peoples was a curse from Babel. Bringing peoples together was a gift from Pentecost. It is a prominent theme in the very way that God has chose to communicate His gospel to humanity. This, this matter of, of ethnic unity and harmony is the means by which God has chosen to communicate His gospel to sinners. Ephesians 2, 11-16, the whole Jew-Gentile issue is what I'm talking about. God chose the whole Jew-Gentile issue to be the medium through which He would communicate the gospel. Ephesians 2, 11-16, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He Himself is our peace." who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. This this Jew-Gentile issue, this this ethnic issue, this hostility between ethnicities is the, the medium which God chose to create and then to bring the gospel to bear on. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's what made Paul throw up his hands and praise God in Romans chapter 11. You ever think about that? Romans 11, 30 through 36. Just as you 
were at once at time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience. So you Gentiles have received mercy because of their Jewish disobedience. So they too have now become disobedient in order that the, by mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. So they're, they're made jealous by the Gentiles coming in. For God has consigned all to disobedience, all ethnicities. He's consigned to disobedience that He might have mercy on all ethnicities. And that, that, that shoots him into all the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, who has been his counselor, who has given a gift to him that he may be repaid. For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. Amazing plans God has. This is at the center of his plan to reveal the gospel. John Piper comments on this. He says, God has designed and guided history both its disobedience and its obedience, so that in the end it will most fully display the reliability of His promises and the magnificence of His mercy to prevent human pride and produce white-hot worship. Every ethnic group humbled because of their disobedience. The Jews are humbled because in spite of all their advantages, they are like broken off branches with Gentiles taking their place in the Abrahamic covenant by faith alone. Gentile peoples are humbled because they stand only by faith and because it is the Jewish root that supports them, not the other way around. You have to become a Jew in order to be saved, Galatians 3.7. But no Jew is saved by being an ethnic Jew, for not all Israel is Israel. Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to raise up stones uh, for children to Abraham. Every mouth is stopped. The boast of every ethnic group is silenced. All are consigned to disobedience. Each is made to swallow its pride. Gentiles must become Jews, Nazis and KKK included, in order to be saved. And Jews must renounce all dependence on Jewishness and join the Gentiles in dependence on mercy. Jesus was born a Jew, and every other part of God's unsearchable and inscrutable wisdom was put in place to achieve this purpose, to shut the mouth of all ethnic and racial boasting, including Jewish, and to bring every race and ethnicity to a humble dependence on mercy. Christ was born Jewish so that every race would exult in mercy, not in degrees of melanin, and every ethnicity would exult in mercy more than in ethnic ways. And every tribe would exult in mercy more than in tribal attributes. Jesus was born a Jew to devastate every boast in ethnic superiority and to create one new joyful, mercy-loving race. It's prominent. It's a prominent theme in the implications of the Gospel in Paul's letters to Galatians and Colossians. You ever think about that? I mean, if I had more time, I could probably find more, but... Let's just take Galatians and Colossians. Galatians 3, 27 and 28. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now some people wrongly use that verse to, to, to do away with all distinctions. That's not what God is doing here. But He is saying we are one in Christ. We are on the same spiritual level made in God's image and come to Christ the same way by faith alone and have the same Lord, the same God, the same Savior. Colossians 3.11 Here there is not Greek. Here, here in the new covenant community. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave free, but Christ is all and in all. It's a prominent theme in the implications of the gospel in Paul's letters to the Galatians and Colossians. It is a prominent theme at the end of all of redemptive history and for all eternity. What, what are the visions that we have in Revelation of the saints worshiping God? Revelation 5, 9, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you have ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Revelation 7, 9 through 10. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is the vision we have of heaven. People from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people worshiping God together. But beloved, hell is going to be diverse too. One, one pastor has said that hell is going to be diverse too. We, we don't worship diversity for diversity's sake. We, we love Jesus. We love the truth. 
But we see God is after every nation. He shed His blood for every nation. And then finally, on this particular point of why, why we study ethnic, ethnic peace and unity, the Bible, because peace, unity, and love are prominent themes throughout Scripture. And they are central fruit. They are a central fruit of gospel transformation. Peace, unity, and love are prominent themes throughout Scripture and they are a central fruit of gospel transformation. If you know Jesus, He's going to transform your life and heart and mind and actions and words and deeds and loves and desires. And Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He prayed for unity of His people in John 17 that we would be one even as He and the Father are one. That's some big time unity that we're to have regardless of our ethnicity. And the second greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And one of the biggest reasons people don't do that is is they come up with differences in ethnicity and they see that and they hate one another. And we're against that. God's against that. The Bible's against that. I want to finish today by reading uh, this Uh, these affirmations and denials on ethnic harmony and justice uh, and the church by the elders of Bethlehem Baptist Church. This is a church where I was for two years. It's where Pastor John Piper pastored. This was written uh, in 2019, so long after he retired, but it's still a good statement, and I I think it drives home um, uh, the point that we're trying to make from this sermon and steers clear of some of the errors that are out there in the culture. They write this, the elders of Bethlehem Baptist Church recognize that the issue of ethnic harmony has become a source of some significant confusion and division. We we lament that many people have experienced the painful effects of ethnic partiality and injustice. We are all broken people and we all stumble in many ways. We seek to humbly put ourselves under the Word of God. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in us richly and that the love of Christ would control us completely. We are eager to maintain the oneness of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And we have a fervent longing to love one another by speaking the truth in love. We believe that this cause of love and clarity requires both affirmations and denials. We have tried to speak clearly and concisely about what we are for and what we are against. We believe that in the absence of biblical clarity, ethnic harmony becomes a wax nose that can be shaped and twist any way we like. It is possible to use the same terminology but utilize a different standard of reference. We simply cannot allow politics or secular culture to define our terms or determine our beliefs. Jesus puts His finger on ethnic harmony and says, Mine. Therefore, the aim of these affirmations and denials is to rightly represent the voice of Jesus Christ. The one who designed ethnic diversity has unparalleled authority and has the final word on the whole issue. The lordship of Christ over the church means that His design and His purposes should be brought to the forefront of a discussion rather than fading into the background while we mimic secular assumptions, arguments, and solutions. We must think deeply and biblically about how Christ aims to be made much of in ethnic harmony. Number one, the image of God. We affirm that God created every human being in His image with equal worth in His sight. We deny that humans can treat other humans unjustly without offending their Creator. God does not show partiality or favoritism, nor should we. Therefore, ethnic partiality is sinful. Number two, race. We affirm that we all share one race, the human race. We share the same bloodline. We all have the same original parents, Adam and Eve. We deny that the modern category of race matches what the Bible says about humans. According to contemporary usage, race is primarily physical or biological, focusing, for example, on skin color, facial features, and hair texture. The category of ethnicity matches more closely what the Bible says about humans. Ethnicity is primarily cultural. That is, it includes shared physical characteristics and ancestry, but also includes characteristics such as culture, language, and geopolitics. We acknowledge that it is important to understand the role that the term race has played in our nation's history and throughout the world. The concept of race is part of a painful past. It is a social construct that has been used in the service of oppression with ongoing implications of superiority and inferiority. 
We deny that Christians should uphold divisions along racial or ethnic lines. Racism is sinful because it dishonors God by exhibiting an explicit or implicit attitude, belief, or practice that values one race over others. Number three, people groups. We affirm that God's global plan to save sinners includes people from every ethnic group. We deny that any one people group has more value in God's sight than another. We exist to spread a passion for the supremacy of God in all things for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ. Number four, inter-ethnic marriage. We affirm that God approves of inter-ethnic marriage. Well, that's good because we're performing one today. <laughs> Opposing the concept of inter-ethnic marriage manifests deep-rooted ethnic partiality. We deny that God approves of interfaith marriages. That is, marriage between a believer and an unbeliever. And so that's what God opposes. Not inter-ethnic marriages. God opposes interfaith marriages. So if you're a Christian here today, you're single, you need to find another Christian who's the opposite sex. Number four, our neighbors. We affirm that we must love our neighbors across ethnic lines even when such love is countercultural, costly, and inconvenient. We deny that ethnic groups should participate. Uh, we deny that ethnic groups should perpetuate antagonistic us-versus-them relations. Six, church unity. We affirm that the church must maintain the unity that Christ powerfully created. We affirm God's calling on all Christians to love one another as Christ loved us by means of kindness, forgiveness, and humble self-sacrifice. We deny that any self-defining characteristic is more significant than our identity in Christ. You get that? Christ first. Not that I'm a pastor. Not that I'm a man. Not that I'm a white man. Christ first. We, we want to say with Paul in, in Philippians 3, <laughs> all that stuff. He, and he, 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 he largely boasts about his ethnicity. I was a, a Jew of Jews of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day. All this ethnic stuff. And then you, you know what he calls it all? If I use the word, it might offend you. I, 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 I'll bring it down like most translations do. He calls it dung. He calls it dung. Garbage. Waste compared to Jesus Christ. Beloved, everything compared to Jesus is dumb. Everything compared to Jesus is dumb. Christ is all. That's got to be first, our identity in Him. Number seven, ethnic diversity in the church. We affirm that the church should prize and welcome the ethnic harmony that Jesus purchased with His blood because that glorifies God. We deny that ethnic diversity should be an end in itself that we pursue at any cost. We deny that diversity should be treasured above biblical fidelity and sound doctrine. Because if you don't get your doctrine right, people go into hell. And that's why Paul said to Timothy, watch your life in doctrine, for in so doing you save both yourself and your hearers. Number eight, justice. We affirm that the church must love and do justice which entails treating all people from all ethnicities justly and encouraging its members to pursue justice in society. Justice is making righteous judgments according to the standard of God's righteousness. We recognize that individuals and groups with power have often exploited the vulnerable for their own gain and that sinners can create unjust systems. We should examine suspected examples of systemic injustice on their own merit, seeking to destroy ungodly strongholds and taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Although worldly systems of thought can make accurate observations, we reject all systems of thought that view relationships primarily through the lens of power. That is, those with more power are inherently oppressors, and those with less power are inherently oppressed. We deny that only those with more power can be guilty of showing ethnic partiality. Any person of any ethnicity can be guilty of showing ethnic partiality. Number nine, political engagement. We affirm that when pursuing justice in society, Christians should distinguish between clear biblical commands and issues that require wisdom. For a clear biblical command, there is a straight line from a biblical or theological principle to a political position. Example, the Bible forbids murder, so we oppose abortion. For an issue that requires wisdom, there is a multi-step process from a biblical or theological principle to a political position. Example, immigration policy. 
Fellow church members should agree on what the Bible clearly commands, and they should recognize Christian freedom on issues that require wisdom. We also affirm that believers should consistently hold their kingdom citizenship as primary over their citizenship in any nation on earth. We deny that we must completely agree on issues that require wisdom in order to be fellow church members. Such issues include tax policy, government spending priorities, accounting for ethnic disparities, presenting American history, specifying specific injustices, and analyzing policing in America's judicial system. Christians should respect fellow church members who have differently calibrated consciences on such political issues. Further insisting that Christians agree on such issues misrepresents Christ to non-Christians. Consequently, we reject any attempt to fuse together one's national political identity with one's Christian identity in a way that equates or conflates allegiance to country with allegiance to God. And finally, number 10, the mission of the church. We affirm that the mission of the church is the Great Commission. Make disciples of all nations by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and by teaching them to observe everything that Jesus commands us. God has commissioned local churches, acting corporately to teach everything Jesus commanded and to equip saints for their various ministries. While Christians care about alleviating present earthly suffering, we care especially about alleviating eternal suffering by verbally proclaiming Jesus as Savior and Lord and calling all to repent and believe. We deny that doing justice is equivalent to the gospel. Good works are the fruit of regeneration and conversion. We also deny that the church's corporate mission is identical to the mission God has given individual believers. God has not commissioned local churches acting corporately to advocate across the whole range of issues that comprise the work of government. Beloved, I have copies of that. It's very helpful. After every statement are tons of Scripture. If you would like to study that more in depth and meditate upon that, they're available for you up here on this front pew. But the bottom line is, we must be held captive by Jesus Christ. We must be held captive by Jesus Christ. When we think about political action, we must make sure we are captivated by Jesus Christ and God's Word. When you think about going to vote, you, 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 you should find out what these candidates believe about slaughtering unborn children. You, you should find that out. right? You, you want your votes are not uh, neutral. You're going to give an account for the way you vote on the Day of Judgment. And so you need to find out what these people stand for before you click yes or no. Because King Jesus cares. And we want to be submissive and captive to Christ in the way we think, in the way we speak, in the way we act, in the way we vote, in the way we eat, in everything we do, where you eat or drink, do everything for the glory of God, King Jesus. We must be captivated by Christ. And the scary thing is, beloved, the culture just seeps into us. The things you hear on TV, they, they just seep in and you begin to think that's true. Beloved, read your Bible. Be Bible saturated. Know the Word of God. Be captivated with Jesus Christ. As the pastor said, true peace will only be found in Jesus Christ. Christ is the answer. God's Word is the answer. The Bible has the answers for how we are to love one another across ethnic lines. Christ Jesus must get all the praise. While CRT is all the craze, defended like it cures and saves, I'm telling you, I see people defend this philosophy like it's the only hope of the world. Never see them talk about Jesus this way. Never see them talk about and defend the deity of Christ this way. Christ Jesus must get all the praise. While CRT is all the craze, defended like it cures and saves, see, CRT is what we raise. Christ crucified, risen, triumphant lays. Foundations true, steadfast always. Set vain philosophies ablaze. He is no phase that leaves truth phase, no vain deceit that money pays. For Jesus guides in all our ways, grants ethnic peace that stands and stays. For Jesus died and empties graves and rose again. We fix our gaze on Christ forever and always. For every nation He'll amaze with saving grace for all our days. Since He's our all, no theory is my all. Christ is my all. 
I don't need no theory. I need solid truth. He's our all, our hope and praise. May He alone be all our craze. Oh, Father, may we hate vain philosophy. May we hate godless teaching that even comes as an angel of light. Lord, help us to know we can be deceived. All over the Scripture we hear You warn us, do not be deceived, Christian. Do not be deceived. Father, may we be crazy in love with Jesus Christ. May we not in any way jeopardize His glory and beauty. May we not in any way live lives that would belittle Him and magnify vain theories and philosophies. May we love Christ. May we pursue Christ. May we trust the Gospel. Thank You, God. We're saved by faith alone in Christ alone. And Lord, may we live lives that show that and love one another. Lord, love one another deeply. Love one another across ethnic lines deeply. Love our enemies. God, make us people who love our enemies. And bless those who curse us. And pray for those who persecute us. Father, do that, we pray. Help us know Christ. Help us live for Christ. Help us follow Christ in this area of ethnicity, we pray. And be obedient to all that you've commanded. And we ask it all for Jesus' sake. Amen.